Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. What God is kind of stating here is he wants us to be a love-based commitment. And with all these false gods that they had and a lot of false religions that we have circulating within our day, it's all fear-based. Everything is fear-based for the most part. Now, I don't want you to mix it up. There, there should be a healthy respect, reverence, fear towards God. But what he wants is a love-based commitment from you and from me. What do you fear? Roller coasters? Spiders? What about snakes? Name anything that you fear, and your natural response to fear, it's avoidance, right? You want to stay as far away as possible. Well, Pastor James shares that God doesn't want your relationship with Him to be based in fear for that very reason. You'll avoid a close relationship with Him. He loves and cares for you at all times. And the closer your relationship with Him is, the more you experience His love for you. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Hosea chapter 3 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Verse 6 of chapter 2, it says, For this reason, I will fence her in with thorn bushes. Boundaries. Boundaries are good. Uh, Boundaries are good. Not just to keep people out, but to keep people in, in place, right? Like boundaries are, and here's some thorn bushes for the boundaries. I'll block her path with a wall to make her lose her way. When she runs after her lovers, she won't be able to catch them. She will search for them, but will not find them, or or but not find them. Then she will think, I might as well return to my husband. For I was better off with him than I am now. After exhausting herself, chasing after, again, a real person doing these things for real, but also the spiritual side of this is a a nation that had abandoned their husband, God, and were chasing after this and that and anything else, and they were finding no satisfaction in any of their pursuits, in any of them. They exhausted themselves. And look, I mean, look how, what God does here. Structurally, he like puts parameters in place where it's like, you you can still chase after them, but you can only go so far. And in your, in your blindness and running after this or that, oh, beware, there might be a wall that just jumps up right in front of you. I mean, look at, you can just see the sovereignty of God within this little portion, this little, you know, few groupings of of verses there where he's like, I'm going to fence her in. I'm going to hedge her in with with thorn bushes and I'll throw up some walls. I'll block her way. I'm going to frustrate her is what I'm going to do. I'm going to frustrate her. And I pray sometimes that God would frustrate some people. Like that doesn't seem like loving or Christian. I think sometimes that's what it takes. If you've ever been ministering to or counseling with people who just are like running away from God. You're like, Lord, how about a hedge of thorn bushes? Maybe a wall here or there. I don't know. Let's wear them out. In their pursuit of what? Unhealthy things. Well, what else are you going to pray for them? This is a good practical prayer, I think. I look at this and I'm like, that's pretty smart. That's pretty smart. What I would like is for them to stop what they're doing immediately and turn right to God and repent and all that good stuff. 
But maybe he's wearing them down. Maybe they need to be worn down. Maybe like the prodigal son from the Gospel of Luke, they need to hit rock bottom so that they see, I was much better off at my father's house. Do you not see that same response here with Gomer? She hits rock bottom. God got her exactly where he wanted her. She's like, man, I I think I had it better with my husband. I should go back to that guy, (laughs) right? And you're like, duh, yeah. But she had to exhaust herself. She had to exhaust herself. That can be a frustrating process for anybody who's praying for prodigals right now because you just want them to stop. You just want them to get it right now. But maybe they got to exhaust themselves. Maybe they got to, maybe this is part of God just saying like, I'm a fence of men. I'm going to establish the boundaries of where they can go and where they cannot go. And you may not like that. You may not feel comfortable with that because you can't see the big picture. But maybe I'm going to set up some thorn bushes, so to speak, and I'll let them run around and I'm going to just wear them down. I'm going to wear them down. If you've ever gone fishing, which I have, did it a whole lot in my past. Now I don't like it. Um, so that's just how that goes, I think. Uh, I lived in the mountains of Colorado for a whole summer, and I fished. I just fished until I couldn't stand it anymore, right? And fishing up there is too easy. It's way too easy, okay? Way too easy. Lake trout and all that stuff, simple. Um, but if you go out to this, the deep, you go deep sea fishing, and you hook a monster, you are not reeling that sucker in on your first go, okay? It's not like you're just reel him in and boom, fling him in there, and then right back out. You're engaged in a battle. You are engaged in a battle that's going to take a long time. And it's going to get exhausting. You're going to get tired. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to want to give up. You're going to, you're going to want to give up. But you've got to stay with it. And you've got to be patient. And sometimes you just got to let that fish run. I'm talking like I'm a fisherman. I'm not. Um, but you've got to let him run. Why? So he wears himself out. So then you can reel him in, simply. It's still a battle. It's still a struggle. I mean, ask Chris knows probably better than anybody in this room. But like maybe getting one of those big, massive fish into a boat, it's still going to take work, but it's a lot easier when that fish is exhausted. I see that same kind of scenario here where the Lord's like, I'm just going to let her run around. But why? Why? Why not just stop her right now? I'm, she needs to get tired. She needs to get tired. Because what you don't see is chapter 3. In your life, what you and I don't see oftentimes is Hosea chapter 3. Okay? We've got to get through the rest of chapter 2 first. So um, we've got to shift into uh, overdrive here. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, so she, she wants to go back. She thinks, she finally dawns her, I, I, I might as well return to my husband if I was better off uh, with him than I am now. She doesn't realize, verse 8, It was I who gave her everything she has, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil. I even gave her silver and gold, but she gave all my gifts to Baal or Baal. I've heard it said so many times. I think it's Baal. But um, she's taken what the Lord has given her in this scenario, what Hosea has given to her, and she is freely given over to false gods. She's displayed her devotion to these things that don't exist. Baal had control over the agriculture, fertility, rainfall, productivity. They, he, was a, he was the most popular false god in Israel, okay? He was the big time one he was, because they're, they're an agrarian type society. 
right? So they're, they're sowing and they're reaping all the time. And so they learn from their, the former tenants, well, this is the guy you need to pray to. And so the, she even gave all her devotion to him and she was chasing after him to get, you know, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil and all those things. And God was like, I was giving it to her the whole time. I was giving it. You can't get from those guys what you need. You can only get what you need from me is what the Lord is telling Israel, okay? But now I'll take back the ripened grain and new wine. I generously provided each harvest season. I will take away the wool and linen clothing. I gave her to cover her nakedness. I will strip her naked in public while all her lovers look on. No one will be able to rescue her from my hands. I will put an end to her annual festivals, her new moon celebrations, her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals. Clearly, he's talking about Israel here. I will destroy her grapevines and fig trees, things she claims her lovers gave her, right? I was good, and then the gods answered my prayers and hooked me up with this stuff, or it was karma, and you know, all this. Now, God's like, that's nonsense. You only have what you have because I gave it to you. And that is a good practical thing for us as well. We only have what we have because God has provided it for us, whether that be through a job you have or some family members or somebody who bless you with something, we have what we have because God has chosen to give it to us. He says, uh, I will let them grow in tangled thickets where only wild animals will eat the fruit. I will punish her for all those times when she burned incense to her images of Baal, when she put on her earrings and jewels and went out to look for her lovers, but forgot all about me, says the Lord. Verse 14, but then I will win her back once again. Oh, there's no sweeter phrase than that one. I will win her back. Or the other translations, maybe yours says this, I will allure her back. Isn't that so good? When I'm a knucklehead, it's common, and I'm out just whatever, living for myself or making, you just, the Lord's not priority within my life, and I think I get in my head that like, oh, I'm, I'm doing really well. Um, and I give myself way too much credit for whatever the Lord can come alongside and like, no, dude, it's not you. And it's not about you, which I need that reminder quite often. But to have these verses that will just uplift the soul. But then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert, speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her, transform the valley of of Achan or the Valley of Trouble um, into a gateway of hope. The Valley of Achan, Joshua 7, verses 24 through 26, that's where, um, or I say Achor, sorry, Achor, but I'm thinking Achan, the dude who got stoned in this valley, okay? Um, real bad, you know, real bad scene that, that had happened there. It's the Valley of Achor or the Valley of Trouble, but the story of Achan from Joshua chapter 7, that's where that happened at. But he's like, oh, no, no, no. I know that happened in the past, but what I'm talking about is what's going to happen in the future. It's going to be a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from captivity, from her captivity in Egypt. So again, speaking of the nation of, of Israel, this northern kingdom, and reminding them, this is what I did for you. I'm the one who rescued you. If anybody deserves our devotion, it's the one who rescued us from slavery, from bondage from death. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. What God is 
kind of stating here is he wants this to be a love-based commitment. And with all these false gods that they had and a lot of false religions that we have circulating within our day, it's all fear-based. Everything is fear-based for the most part. Now, I don't want you to mix it up. There, there should be a healthy respect, reverence, fear towards God. But what he wants is a love-based commitment from you and from me. He wants, yes, he is your master, but just like within this verse, and for the nation of Israel, I believe for the same would apply for us as well, that you would call him husband instead of master. It's fascinating. Amazing concept there. I think it just speaks to the, the depths of the relationship that he is making them, that he is making available to, to you and I. Verse 17, O Israel, I will wipe away as many names of Baal from your lips, and you will never mention them again. On that day, I will make a covenant with all the wild animals and the birds of the sky, the animals that scurry along the ground, so they will not harm you. I will, I will remove all weapons of war from the land, all swords and bows, so you can live unafraid in peace and safety. That hasn't happened yet, by the way. That still hasn't happened. This is part of what we think with this millennial kingdom, okay? Thousand-year reign of Christ. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. In that day, I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the sky as it pleads for the clouds. The sky will answer the earth with rain. Then the earth will answer the thirsty cries of the grain, the grapevines, and the olive trees. And they, in turn, will answer Jezreel, God plants. So like this is nature coming to life in one sense saying like everything that how it was supposed to be is restored. And again, this is where we're thinking this, uh, you know, the, the, the millennial reign where, where some of this stuff will be happening, where there's references, Isaiah goes through some of this stuff. Um, one of these days we'll have to do a study on the millennial kingdom. But, you know, there's a lot of references towards like, you know, little kids can stick their hand in a viper pit and not get bitten and all that stuff, which I think is, that's kind of cool. I just had a baby rattlesnake in my backyard on Sunday as I was mowing. That was fun. Um, I couldn't run him over because he was too small. But uh, I was like, but I also didn't want to mess with it because I had, you know, bee sting, dog bite. And I was like, I don't need a rattlesnake bite. Um, I don't, I don't want to press the limits. But uh, in the millennial kingdom, that won't be a problem. Be like, yeah, kids, go outside, play outside. No big deal. But they're snakes. Now they're your friends. They're your friends. Um, it'll, be, it'll be how it was, well, initially in the beginning, so to speak, uh, but a new heaven and a new earth. And just God is just communicating to, to the nation of Israel. He's like, I'm the one who controls everything. So, you know, I'll, I'll speak to the clouds, so to speak. I will, you know, in that day, I'll answer. I'll answer the skies that pleads for clouds. You, you got to have the clouds for the rain because the rain needs to happen because the grain and the grapevines and the olive trees, they need the rain. And when they receive that rain, they're just going to cry out, Jezreel, God plants. It says, at that time, I will plant a crop of Israelites. Now, understand, I don't think that that's being like literal. I think we're speaking figurative language here. So I don't think in the millennial kingdom, plants will actually be crying out. I could be wrong, but I think this is figurative. I just needed to say that because unless, because you might start going on this, uh, you know, Alice in Wonderland trip on me. And uh, I don't think that the plants talk, but this is figurative just so we understand this. It says, at the same time, I will plant a crop 
of Israelites and I'll raise them for myself. I will show love to those I have called not loved. I will, uh, and to those I've called not my people, I will say, now you are my people. And they will reply, you are our God. They'll get it. They'll get it. Eventually, they'll get it. Now, chapter three, small chapter, poquito chapter, very, very small, tiny chapter here. We're going to cover these, I think it's five verses. Um, But this is hands down one of the best chapters in all of your Bible. Okay? Five, what is it? Is it five verses? I think it's only five verses. I could be wrong. No, look at that. Um, Hey, miracle of all miracles. I was right. Um, Okay. Five verses. Get to know this chapter. Like this is, if you have struggles with like inductive Bible studies and all that good stuff, maybe this chapter is a chapter for you. It's only five verses. We normally start people off in Psalm 1 because that's only six verses, right? And it's pretty simple to, to break that dude down. But look at this chapter. This is amazing. This is redemption for somebody who we would, we would assume or categorize no hope. No hope, right? Then the Lord said to me, this is to Hosea, go love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. You're like, what? Um, he's like, go get your bride. Go and love. Go and love your wife again. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Uh, false gods, just again, don't, uh, they don't want love. They want fear. God Almighty wants love. False gods, all that. They don't want love. They want fear. He says, go to your wife. Go to your wife. Love your wife again. Verse 2, so I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley, and a measure of wine. So essentially what he pays for his wife is 30 shekels, the price of a slave. The price of a slave. Exodus 21, verse 32, that's where we first get that that little breakdown there. The price of a slave would be 30 shekels. Um, He didn't have to buy her back. She was already his. He didn't have to pay that price. She already belonged to him. She was his bride. So why in the world would he pay 30 shekels for something that technically already belongs to him? He's going above and beyond to communicate to Gomer, I love you. I love you. This is a story of redemption. This is what it is. And Jesus was way more willing to go above and beyond to demonstrate to you and I, I love you. I'll be sold for 30 pieces of silver. I'll be sold as the price of a slave to go and die for you. Because I'm going to go above and beyond to communicate to you that I love you. And even though you're unfaithful to me, and we are, he is, he is always faithful. Verse 3 says, then I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. That's a good rule, Hosea, to your wife, Gomer. He's like, you got to knock that off. Um, 
You got to turn in your resignation letter. Um, During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even me, right? So he's just, he's he's putting this down. There's going to be a time there of what? Healing? Healing? And maybe just on a practical level, you know, we can go through the spiritual into just the practical human side of these stories. Because again, we're dealing with real people. And if she's been part of prostitution, where she is purchased by men for a price to have sex with her, I think this is an act of grace and respect and love on her husband's part to be like, well, number one, I don't want you sleeping with other dudes. Okay, let's start there. But while, you're, while you've been restored back in my home, I'm not expecting anything of you either. Maybe this needs to be a time of restoration. Maybe this needs to be a time of healing. Maybe this needs to be a time of, there's no expectations here, Gomer. We just need to hang out. We just need to hang out. There could be some purification stuff with this attached to the law. I'm sure there was. Verse 4 says, uh, This shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or a prince, and without sacrifices, this is directly connected to the verse we just read, uh, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord, their God, and to David's descendant, their king. So here's Israel in the fallen state. Again, these last days that are referenced here, we're going to see this again in this last little verse. Last, uh, last days, messianic age, um, ultimate fulfillment found in the millennial kingdom. Let me throw you some references for that. Isaiah 55, 3 through 5, Jeremiah 30, verse 9, and Ezekiel 34, 23 through 25, all kind of hint at or reference this millennial kingdom that we believe is, is, will be the fulfillment of these prophecies, okay? Um, in the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. Here's what's so cool about this story. Um, this is like future stuff, future stuff for the nation of Israel. Okay. Future stuff for the nation of Israel. This is present stuff, present promises for you and I, you want restoration. You can have that today. You want redemption. It's been made available today in Jesus. Like we can grab hold of these things today. Now there is the future thing, and this will be fulfilled in the future for the nation of Israel, because that's directly who this is applied to. Prophecy was given to them, not to Americans, all right? So this today is your day and my day for restoration, redemption, nationally for the, for the nation of Israel, for the northern kingdom, and yes, also this would apply for the southern kingdom too. In the end times, this fulfillment will happen. You and I don't, don't have to wait for that. Praise God. We get to experience that today, today. And then a bunch of little Gomers like us, don't be offended that I called you that, get to bask in the warmth and love of a husband who would go to great lengths and put up with a ton of nonsense on my part to demonstrate his love for me and his commitment to me, his unwavering faithfulness to a bunch of gomers. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless, red for the broken.
Compassionate and loving are just a few descriptions of God. Did you know that in the Minor Prophets, he's also described as just? Israel and Judah thumbed their noses at God by making him unimportant in their lives. They gave in to their own desires, did what they wanted, and despaired in tough situations. All of this caused them to forget God as their protector and provider. Why is it so easy to do those things that, in the long run, aren't good for us? More than I care to admit, I see myself doing those same things, over and over. God was patient with them, and He's patient with me. But there comes a point when a reality check is needed. Jesus draws the line between white and black, wrong and right, judging actions and motives. Thankfully, He doesn't leave us in that rotten state. He offers us forgiveness and hope. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Each message professed by the prophets reveals his abundant patience, his faithfulness, and also his justice. If you missed one or more of these teachings, I encourage you to go back and listen to them again at breadforthebroken.com. Just click on the Listen tab. We'd love for you to come join us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Our prayer is that you're encouraged and rest in the confidence that Jesus will right every wrong. Be sure to tune in next time as Pastor James continues here on Bread for the Broken. Bread for the Broken